TII, item 277, July 31st, 2013. IOS 7, Beta 4. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah! My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. Today's episode is brought to you by Warby Parker. Please visit warbyparker.com to find fashionable eyewear at an affordable price. And use promo code TII when purchasing a pair of glasses to get free two-day shipping. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is a Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Kevin for sending in the music you hear in the background. Kevin wrote, Hi, Rob. Made this short song with GarageBand on my iPhone 5. I haven't written anything in quite some time, but I wanted to share it with you and your listeners. This song is short, but... The motif was fun. Please follow me on Twitter at at BendDude, B-E-N-D-D-E-W-D. Regards, Kevin in Bend, Oregon. Thanks, Kevin, for the music. And folks, I will put the full song at the end of the episode. I also want to thank Kurt Lee for sending in the artwork for today's show. Kurt Lee wrote, Hey, Rob, I took this picture of the sky on a not-too-bright evening near my home with the app that I received from your show called Check Me Out. I then made use of the in-app settings to add text and some effects to the photo. Regards, Kurtley from St. Lucia. Well, Kurtley, thanks again for sending in this artwork. And you can see Kurtley's artwork in the TI app in the extras for episode 277. Or if you subscribe via iTunes on your computer as the album artwork and also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at facebook.com forward slash today in iOS. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com and please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote. Quote, the launch of Storm 3 gives RIM the long-awaited answer to the iPhone and high-end Android devices. Unquote. Michael Lee, Investing Blog, 16th of January, 2011. Any predictions about RIM, BlackBerry, and their devices being able to compete with the iPhone today just seem to be silly at best and sad at worst. Just saying. For promo codes on episode 276, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the apps Idle, Forecast, Tube Tracker, and the iBook Dyslexia on the iPad. I'll be drawing for those winners sometime in the next week. If you want more info on those items, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 276 for the additional details. This week, we have promo codes for the app Calculation Spreadsheet. Here's the review from the dev. Hi, my name is John Buchanan, and I make CalcSheet, which means Calculation Spreadsheet. Calculation Spreadsheet brings together a calculator interface into a complex and fully functional spreadsheet. This is available in two forms, the full version, which allows livestock quotes, currency exchange, and user values to be incorporated, and a free version without the aforementioned features. If you have the full version, you can email a copy to your friend and they can use the free version to load their spreadsheet and see your calculations. Full version also allows export to Excel and Numbers. For more information, go to www.calcsheet.com. My name is John Buchanan. Thank you for listening. 
Thanks to John for his review of his app calculation spreadsheet and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put calculation in the subject line. I'm going to guess there's going to be quite a few emails coming in for this one since this is something people have asked for in the past for a suggestion, so it's nice to know about this one. So again, John, thanks for the heads up. And folks, if you want a chance on that again, just put calculation in the subject line. Send that off to me. A quick reminder, if you're an app developer, email me if you want your app featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app indicating you are the dev. And also, when you send in those promo codes, make sure you let me know when they expire. First up, thanks to all of you, TII has now been downloaded over 10 million times, making it the most downloaded iOS podcast of all time. Well, it already was, but now we hit a great milestone before anyone else that's covering the space has hit it. And that could not have happened without you downloading, and more importantly, without you contributing to the show. So again, thank you so much for all your help. Per when that happened, it was on Monday, July 29th at 8.30 a.m. Central Time U.S. Again, thanks so much for all of those that send in guesses. I need to go through them and see who actually won and figure out what to send them. As I mentioned on the last episode, I was going to do a presentation on iOS to Kansas Fest, the Apple II conference here in Kansas City, which again is something I have done each year since 2007. This year, when I got there, the person I deal with is all excited and says, I don't know if you heard, but Woz is here, as in Steve Wozniak. I got really excited. Then I got really scared, thinking I would be doing a presentation on Apple products to Woz. And I looked around, and I did not see him, so I asked where he was. And the person said, oh, he's not here for your presentation. He left to go to dinner. But he was here earlier, and he'll be back all day tomorrow. So then I went from being very scared to very sad, as I did not get to meet Woz. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, well. I still had a great time presenting there and look forward to doing so again. And now on with the show. I have a little DIY tip for anyone that has purchased or won an iRig MicCast mic. If you get a tin of King Dog Energy Mints, the iRig MicCast fits in the tin great. Just cut out the foam that comes with the iRig to fit in the case and make a short slot for your finger to pop up the eighth inch jack. You know what I mean when you cut out the foam to make it fit. But anyway, I had an empty tin of King Dog Energy Mints and realized it made a nice case for the iRig mic. Yes, 5-Hour Energy Drinks and King Dog Energy Mints is how I'm able to get out this show for you. Apple finally got their developer site back up and running, and that meant they were able to get the release of iOS 7 Beta 4 out to all the devs which then leads us quickly to what is different or new with Beta 4. The first thing you will see that is new is on the lock screen. There is now an arrowhead letting you know which way to slide to unlock. Previously, it was not clear on which way to slide uh, to open up the iPhone. Could you slide left or right? Now you see. In the camera app, the HDR on-off option has moved from right up Above the shutter button to the top center of the screen. This is a much better location. In the music app, shuffle all feature is back. In the maps app, the ETA is now displayed under the car icon. In the world clock tab for the clock app, 
it now shows how many hours ahead or behind another city is from your current time. Nice feature add. Under settings, mail, contacts, and calendar, under the contacts part, there is now a new option for short name. And this lets you turn on short names, which as it says, short names are sometimes used to fit more names on screen. Only names using Roman characters are affected. Notification Center lets you swipe through notifications from today, missed, or all. Siri now allows you to ask more complicated questions. But asking why can't the Mets make it to the postseason each year, given how much money they spend? And, well, still Siri has no answer for you. Plus, there are a bunch of cosmetic changes, cleanups, where Apple is making buttons and text clearer and more defined. I guess you could say they are starting to cross the T's and dot the I's, so to speak. Which is good to see. The biggest news about iOS 7 Beta 4, well, we'll get into that later in the show when we get into the rumors part of the episode. Previously, I said the ITC decision to ban Apple's iPhone 4 and original iPad running on GSM networks was a huge mistake and terrible mistake and setting a horrible precedence. Being the patent in question is a standards essential patent held by Samsung, which have traditionally fallen under FRAND rules, meaning they should be licensed fair, reasonably, and non-discriminatory, which is clearly not what Samsung was doing in this case. And by the ITC making this decision, there will be huge repercussions in the years to come, and all would be bad for the consumers. Well, to put in perspective how bad this decision is, Verizon's head lawyer publicly asked President Obama to step in and veto the decision. Mind you, none of the devices in this case run on Verizon's network. It's all about iOS devices on AT&T's network. So yeah, when the competitor of a company about to be affected asks the president for help, that pretty much sums up how bad a decision this was. Hopefully President Obama has some smart people around him to explain the dire effects not vetoing this decision will have. And a little follow-up on this, it's not just Verizon supporting Apple and telling the Obama administration to veto the FTC ruling. It's also Microsoft, Intel, and Oracle. So yeah, many others, even Apple's oldest rival, think this decision is whack, so to speak. Hey, and even Jim Dalrymple from The Loop is jumping on the bandwagon asking for the president to sign this veto. Remember, I said this needed to be killed as soon as it was announced. This is just a bad, bad decision. And the only thing that could make this worse is for the president to do nothing. We shall see by the next episode what happened. I saw this post titled, Fact-Checking Apple's Earnings Claim on iPad Web Traffic. And I said, wow, Forbes let this get published? Oh my. It is a post where the author is claiming someone needs to fact-check Apple's earnings claim about web traffic, hence the title. First, it sounds like the author had not even ever heard of Jutikta when you start reading this. Yikes. They only have been reporting the stat of web traffic for a couple of years now, and Tim Cook has mentioned them multiple times before publicly. Not hearing of Jutikta instantly says, you're not in a position to be writing anything about Apple or the mobile space. Right or wrong, these guys have been reporting about mobile traffic for a few years plus. Second, she needs some basic statistics training as she knocks the sample size Jatikta used. 
if you actually are looking at the sampling of data where the data set is 100,000 users out of 10 million that you mentioned, that gives you a plus or minus 0.4% confidence level. Seems pretty good to me. Then she starts talking about iOS devices from net applications to refute numbers from Chitika that were all about tablets. The Chitika numbers were not about iOS overall versus Android overall, but rather just about tablets, as in iPad versus the world. Yet she's trying to pull in all iOS devices and all of Android devices. Nice. And then finally, she pulls in IDC numbers, which is all about shipments and nothing to do with web traffic. You know, actual use, which was what Tim Cook was talking about when he said it comes to use. Um, maybe other people are shipping tablets and maybe those units that were shipped were actually purchased, but not many of those other tablets are actually having their users, you know, use them. That was the whole gist of Tim Cook's comments. And I don't know why she brought in the IDC numbers. Someone needs to fact check this fact checker. Just saying. Hey, Rob, it's Woody calling from New Jersey. A couple episodes ago, a caller asked for a way to back up reminders in the iOS app. And I've come across a pretty cool way, which is the uh, web-based service and now iOS app IFTT. Maybe if this, then that uh, will enable you to add any reminders you put in your iOS app into a Google spreadsheet automatically, which seems pretty cool. Anyway, I uh, really love the show and uh, thanks for all you do. Take care. Woody, thanks for the feedback on if this, then that. Hi, Rob. And item 276, a listener was having trouble with home sync on a PC with iTunes 11. I had this very problem. Turns out that iTunes 11 doesn't like IPv6 as it is implemented on Windows. When I disabled IPv6 and rebooted, my problems with home sync went away. Regards, Christopher W. Hi, Rob. I just listened to episode 276 and the request of the softball coach wanting an app to send out notices to parents of team members. A lot of teachers are using Remind 101 to do that very thing. I think it also does so without giving up your cell number. I hope this is what they were looking for. Regards, Anne. Well, Anne, thank you for the heads up on that. I'm actually going to have to check it out because I just became the head football coach for my son's K1 uh, kindergarten first grade flag football team since nobody else stepped up to coach and I opened my mouth and said I'd assistant coach and then Austin became the head coach. So remind 101, I'll be checking that out. Thanks, Ann. Hi, Rob. For the listener wanting to edit autofill PDFs, PDF Pen from Smile may help. Not sure if they support autofill requirement or not, but using Text Expander, also from Smile, uh, may help fill that need. For the listener with the need for more than seven days of browsing history, the Google Chrome browser stores more than that. Uh, I use Google Chrome as my preferred browser on my phone, and my history currently goes back to April 30th. Regards, Mike P., Attleboro, Mass. Thanks all for your suggestions. Lost last week with the Apple quarterly numbers were the quarterly numbers from AT&T. They said they sold 6.8 million smartphones in the quarter, and more iPhones than the year over year, but also that they had record Android percents for shipments or sales. 
They did not actually give out numbers per se on Android or the iPhone side, but they shipped 3.7 million iPhones last year. So that means they shipped at least 3.8 million this year and Verizon shipped 3.8 million this year. So my guess is that they pretty much shipped what Verizon shipped, which is 3.8 million. Otherwise, they would have bragged about beating Verizon. That would put iPhones at about 56% of smartphone sales at AT&T. That's probably the minimum that they were at. Sprint had their quarterly call yesterday, July 30th. Sprint said they sold over 5 million smartphones in the quarter, of which 1.4 million were iPhones. Without a calculator, that works out to 28% of smartphone sales, which is the lowest Apple saw last quarter percentage-wise of the four major carriers, and they were only on T-Mobile for half the quarter. Just saying. What is it about Sprint users that keeps the number of iPhones sold at such a low percentage of smartphones? That said, Sprint did say they are ahead of their commit sales number for Apple. So whatever the number they were supposed to sell uh, to Apple that they committed to, they are ahead on schedule there. And Sprint also said 41% of the 1.4 million iPhone customers were new to Sprint. So some good signups there, which is always an important part of that business. Sprint made mention of LTE and that they had just fired up their 2500 megahertz bands to uh, band to go with their 800 megahertz and 1900 megahertz bands that they already had going. And they just had their first tri-band LTE device launched with the expectation of later in the year, more tri-band LTE devices would be available. So mark that one down on the bingo card, tri-band LTE for the iPhone 5S, and maybe even for the 5C. Oh, 5C, I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Per the bands for LTE, 800 is the band 26, 1900 megahertz is band 25, and 2500 megahertz is band 41. For those keeping track at home, currently on the Sprint LTE iPhone, it supports bands 1, 3, 5, 13, and 25 or really just 25 if you're on Sprint. I know, all those numbers make you want to say, bingo! But regardless of all that, it does sound like an LTE upgrade is coming with the iPhone 5S this year, as had been rumored and, well, needed. I had mentioned previously that one, quote, professional, unquote, analyst, Edward Parker, at Lazard, that he had a prediction of 23 million iPhones sold last quarter. Here is his comments after last week's conference call per his huge miss on the iPhone sales number. Quote, Mostly as expected. Mostly. June quarter results were respectable, especially given growing fears of weakening end markets. September numbers are headed lower again, but there's been ample talk of this in the market, including a growing consensus that fiscal quarter three is the last shoe to drop. Unfortunately, commentary on new products was anything but illuminating, meaning that investors will have to hold on a bit longer before getting a clear picture of what the next product cycle means for the model. We think valuation remains reasonable, 10x on the EPS for fiscal 2014. On our and on ours are essentially unchanged numbers and view current levels as a good entry point, unquote. Huh? Last shoe to drop? I mean, I guess if you're talking about your clients fleeing Lazard faster than rats off a sinking ship, sure. But if you're talking about Apple, 
Well, all I can say is, and this guy is getting paid to do this, why? Because really, the only ones that seem dumber than Mr. Parker are those paying him to say the stuff he's saying. Just saying. On the last episode, when going over quarterly reports, I said that most blogs would focus on the iPad sales number in the coming days slash weeks. Nailed it. When I looked at the first 24 posts about quarterly calls that come up on my newsfeed, what I found was 13 of 24 posts had something negative in the title of the post, with some being downright misleading, such as, quote, Apple's iPads slip and the culprit may be price, unquote, from thestreet.com, or, quote, surprise drop in iPad sales show the market for Apple's tablet has saturated, unquote, from Quartz, and, quote, downturn in iPads promising for rivals of Apple, unquote, from the China Post. But of all the articles I saw last week after the earnings call, by far the worst one belonged to the San Jose Mercury News titled, iPhone sales soar, but lackluster earnings put pressure on Apple. The essential gist or slant or BS of the article is time is running out on Apple. If they don't pull another iPad or iPhone out of its hat this year, Apple is doomed. A company with $46 billion in the bank has a little bit more time than one quarter before they are, quote, doomed, unquote a company that is making more than any other company in the U.S. and has $146 billion in the bank and a super loyal following and is generating multiple billion per quarter. Yeah, that company is not on a six-month watch list. Not at all. Not even close. Some of the crap I read for you all, I'll tell you what, you don't realize the pain and well nausea I'm saving you from. But I do want to say this, uh, as negative as it's been, it's really been really negative towards Apple this last year, but as negative as it's been and as bad as it's gotten in the past year, I think I'm finally starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel as I'm starting to see more and more reporters and bloggers fighting back against these negative posts, really calling out some of these other quote-unquote journalists for some really poor, piss-poor really, really piss poor reporting or slanted reporting or just plain their head is stuck in their nether regions reporting. I'm going to mention some of those here and some articles later in the show, but I, I really do, I kind of got this feel this last week or two. The pendulum is starting to swing back the other way. I think you're starting to see some of the reporters realize that it's not all about link bait. It's not all about driving traffic to get advertising, which is why a lot of these people do this. But some of them are actually going, hey, I actually need to do some research. I actually need to do some fact-checking. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm right on this, and I'm hoping the pendulum's starting to swing back the other way. We'll see. Apple put up a page on their Chinese site to show people how to tell if the charger they have is real or fake. I guess this is great news for anyone that already has one to check, but would this also not be exactly the info those making knockoffs need to also build a better-looking knockoff? Hmm quite the quandary. A damned if you do, a damned if you don't type uh, page. What I think would be a better way to tell people if the charger they are buying is a fake would also be to put up the prices for those chargers, what the retail price would be. If you're paying half of that price, well, then it is a fake. Of course, then I guess the folks that are making the fakes could also raise their prices to match Apple's stride for stride. Hmm. Curses. 
those counterfeiters are always one step ahead. Hey, here's a thought. With or without the real charger, don't answer your phone soaking wet getting out of the tub if it's plugged in. Yeah, that might help from getting you shocked or electrocuted. One thing a few analysts and journalists picked up on from last week's call from Apple is that based on their guidance for this current quarter ending on September 28th, it looks like Apple would need to release a new iPhone during the quarter to hit said guidance. Apple gave a guidance of 34 to 37 billion in revenue with gross margins of 36 to 37% for the current quarter. Well, what did Apple do last year, you ask? Great question. Apple had 36 billion in revenue in the year ago quarter. And guess what? Last year, Apple went from $35 billion to $36 billion quarter over quarter by, yep, releasing a new iPhone at the end of that quarter. So it seems this year, if they want to hit anywhere close to the mid or top side of their guidance, they need to, yep, release a new iPhone before the quarter is over. Either that or release a new everything else before the quarter is over. One of the two is going to work. So based on it appearing that Apple will release a new iPhone prior to September 28th, what date would it be? Already a few dates have popped up and kind of sort of been squashed. However, before we talk about potential dates, let's look at what Apple did the past few years, or actually in the past for all the releases of the different iPhones, uh, where it was released in the month as well as the date. The original iPhone launched on June 29th, 2007. That was the fifth Friday of the month. The 3GS launched on July 11th, 2008, the second Friday of the month. The 3GS launched on June 19th, 2009, the third Friday of the month. The iPhone 4 launched on June 24th, 2010, the fourth Thursday of the month. The iPhone 4S launched on October 4th, 2011, the second Friday of the month. The iPhone 5 launched on September 21st, 2012, the third Friday of the month. So what does this tell us? One simple thing. Apple has never launched an iPhone on the same day weekend that it had launched in the previous year or really any past years. Based on that, then my original thoughts of a September 20th launch would seem to be the one date it could not be. However, five of the past six iPhone launches have been on a Friday, so a Friday does seem likely to be picked again. Based on comments from Apple and outlook for the quarter for margins, as we said, it seems likely the iPhone will be launching sometime in this quarter, which ends on Saturday, September 28th. The 27th of September is a Friday, but it seems like it is really too close to the end of the quarter to make sense, only giving two days for shipment. So... That leaves us with September 13th as the most likely date. What Apple might do is on September 3rd, they could send out invites to a special event that would be on Tuesday the 10th. Then on the 10th, they would announce that iOS 7 would be available the next day on the 11th for download or maybe even later that day on the 10th. And then introduce the new iPhone or iPhones and say they would be available on that Friday the 13th. Again, this is all wild speculation, but still, I would not plan anything for any Friday in September at this point, if you plan on getting a new iPhone, that is. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, iOS 7 Beta 4 is out, and from it, we can start to see some specs on what might be coming in the iOS device pipeline. 
One discovery in the code is that the next iPhone will likely be on an A7 processor, and surprisingly, it will still be made by Samsung. Seems the current iPhone 5 processor goes by the code of S518950, and that is the A6 processor, but there is some code referencing S518960, not, so not 50, but 60 at the end in the code, and that looks to be the A7, again, built by Sammy. For another perspective, when it ends with 5.5, that's the A7, excuse me, the A6X processor. So that's the halfway up. So by going to 6.0 from 5.0, it looks like it's one generation ahead. And the S at the beginning of the name means Samsung. With the iPhone 3GS, um, talking about S's, the S meant speed. With the iPhone 4S, the S meant Siri or Steve, depending on who at Apple is talking off the record. With the iPhone 5S, the S will likely mean security, as in fingerprint sensor for security. Well, I guess it could also, the S could mean sensor, if you have the sensor there. Well, either sensor or security, or maybe both. Also widely reported this week was the folder Biometric Kit UI, which was found in the Beta 4 software. And that seems to back up the long-running rumor about there being a fingerprint scanner sensor in the next iPhone. There was also mention in the code about a photo of a person holding an iPhone while touching the home button with their thumb, quote-unquote. I guess quote-unquote would be while touching the home button with their thumb. And this is supposed to mean the fingerprint sensor will be in the home button. One other thing we seem to have learned from the Beta 4 software code is on the iPad mini side. No retina display. The display will stay the same for the iPad mini, which is not surprising at all, at least if you listen to this show, and is what I have been saying all year long. There is no need to upgrade to a retina display at this time. Keep the iPad mini as light as possible and have it run for as long as possible. Better battery life and unit weight are more important to the iPad mini users than is a retina display. Not all users, but most users. If the retina display means so much, there is the iPad Maxi. This was discovered, by the way, in the code by seeing that the iPad mini will have the A6 processor in the current, that's the one that's in the current iPhone 5. So that means a nice speed bump um, for the speed of the iPad mini, but it also shows it will not be a retina screen as that would have required the A6X processor, not the A6 processor. So again, A6 processor in the iPad mini, which would be expected, uh, well, at least a bump up to one of the A6 or A6X. In this case, it's showing in the code A6, and that means no retina display. There are a lot of things that seem to uh, leak out this time in the code, and I'm wondering if that had anything to do with Apple spending so much time doing a fire drill to get the whole dev center back up and running and to rebuild the dev center that they took focus off from the fact of what they needed to do and didn't pull certain pieces of code out. Just wondering if the two are related somehow, because from a lot of the articles you're reading, they're, they're wondering why these pieces of code were left in. And I'm wondering that too. So my only excuse or only thing I can think of is that the whole hacking of the dev account and trying to get it all back up, uh, people just took their eye off the ball for a minute. 
Either that or Apple threw in a few red herrings to point us off in the wrong direction. One of the other things this past week to come out, and this had nothing to do with the Beta 4, and it was actually the week before, uh, was a video of what looks to be the low, lower cost iPhone. I want to say low cost, but the lower cost iPhone that we've mentioned uh, these before as pictures had been circulating recently about these plastic back lower cost iPhones. And actually the first picture of the lower cost iPhone originally surfaced on tactus.com back on April 18th. And this matches up to the video from a few sources of this lower cost iPhone shell. Now these videos look very convincing. Clearly there are multiple units floating around. Ken Ray from Mac OS Ken and I talked about it this week a couple times as his first recording didn't work, but I won't give many jobs there. Um, we were both kind of flummoxed, not just um, um, about how these guys got these units to shoot the video, but why them? Uh, these were all kind of no-name folks. The one video that got the biggest traction was from a guy called Detroit Borg. I don't mean to disparage him, but early in the video, when comparing it to the iPhone 3GS, he was showing them next to each other, he calls the 3GS short-lived. Uh, no. The 3GS launched in mid-June 2009 and stayed in service and for sale until September 20th, 2012. I hardly call three years, three plus months short-lived. Actually, it's the longest lived of any iPhone. So quite the opposite. In another video, a different guy is doing the video and he refers to the lightning port as a 30-pin dot connector. Oh! He did correct it with a little flash over. I guess he realized it afterwards. Still, why did they not end up in Rene Ritchie's hands or someone at BGR or Gizmodo? Why these guys? Why not Mac Rumors or 9to5Mac? Um, on that front, it kind of sounded fishy. Plus the colors, if real, wow, they are, to say the least, a flashback to the 70s and late 60s. The green looks like what someone's grandmother might have had in her bathroom. It, it's that ugly 70s lime green. The colors looked, uh, no, actually smelled kind of fishy as well. But all that smell was washed away when a supplier audit was released early this week. And the supplier audit was of Pe Pegatron. And when it was released in it, the report talks about assembly people putting together protective coatings on plastic backs of an iPhone. Or to quote the report, quote, today's work is to paste the protective film on the iPhone's plastic back cover to prevent it from being scratched on assembly lines. This iPhone model with a plastic cover will soon be released on the market by Apple, unquote. I'm guessing someone broke an NDA or two or three there. Oops. So yeah, any doubts about there not being a lower cost iPhone this year are now all washed away. That said, I was already pretty much 99% sure that there was going to be a release of a lower cost iPhone prior to that report from Pegatron since these videos and the pictures are just too many out there, too many, just too much out there for it not to be real. So between the beta 4 code and the Pegatron report and the videos, we kind of have a better picture of what's going to be happening in September. So what we know right now uh, is a lower cost iPhone is coming out. Uh, what it'll be called, uh, I joked it would be the iPhone Air, uh, but a recent photo which may or may not be photoshopped, is showing it as the iPhone 5C. 
which is kind of what I mentioned earlier. Actually, it's showing a bin of empty cartons uh, with the iPhone 5C on the side of each of these little containers. The C could mean color, as in this will be the first iPhone with colorful cases. Others might say the scene means cheap. I don't think that's what Apple's going to say, as in a lower cost version. Uh, some will say it is the C in polycarbonate. Yeah, that is a stretch when you have to make the P, the O, the L, and the Y silent to get to that C. And the anti-Apple crowd will say it's that C stands for cracked, as in what's going to happen to your screen at some point in the next two years. For now, let's go with the 5C for the lower cost iPhone and the 5S for the higher end 7th gen iPhone. And I'm going to say that C stands for color and the S stands for sensor or security. What we are likely to see this fall is one of two scenarios. Uh, in both, the iPhone 4 and 4S are gone from the lineup. In one scenario, there is the iPhone 5S and the iPhone 5C, and that's it. The 5S would come in 32, 64, and 128 gig versions. The 5C might come in 8 and 16 gig versions, but likely just an 8 gig version. It would be the free with a plan iPhone replacing the iPhone 4, and would likely retail between $300 and $350 unsubsidized at T-Mobile and the like. The second scenario is the iPhone 5 stays in the lineup, as the $99 subsidized phone with the 16 gig only version. I'm starting to think the first scenario is more likely as Apple had indicated when it came to the iPhone 4 versus 4S sales recently, most have been the iPhone 4, which means people either wanted the best iPhone or the cheapest iPhone. So if that's how it is breaking, uh, it does not make much sense to keep the iPhone 5 around, especially if they are making less money on it anyway. Per specs on the iPhone 5C, that is simple. Look at the specs of the iPhone 4S, and there you go. Pretty much it'll be the same specs as the 4S, but just 8 gig on the storage. And it'll be a plastic case. But the same processor, same camera. Well, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, they go with the camera from the iPhone 4, the 5 megapixel versus the 8 megapixel in the 4S. But the rest is the 4S specs. Oh, and it would be a 4-inch Retina display, too. Um, the same one as it's on the 5. So not the 3.5-inch that you have on the 4S now. And it would be lightning to a port, too. So yeah, outside of the display and the camera and the lightning port and the storage and the plastic back, it would be just like the iPhone 4S is. Wow, kind of sounds a lot different when I say it like that. Hmm. Okay. So not just like the 4S, but more like the 4S than the 4. How does that sound? Per the iPhone 5S, what do I think that will have for specs? Uh, well, it'll have the A7 processor, 2 gigabytes of RAM, a 12 megapixel camera with dual LED flash for much better low light pictures. It will be able to record for slow motion playback at half X, quarter X speeds, maybe even playing back at eighth inch speed. Again, this is going to be such an overused feature that by February, you will hate slow motion feature, uh, or at least your relatives will. The 5S will have the fingerprint scanner. It will offer up 
improved and expanded LTE, as mentioned before, to cover all three bands at Sprint and to cover many other bands globally. And it will come in 32, 64, and 128 gig versions. The added space will be needed to support my way out there prediction previously that in the 5S, they're going to offer up 4K video recording and support 4K video out. Hey, Apple needs to really do something to jump the comp on this. And at this point, it doesn't look like there will be NFC in the 5S, as there is no hints of anything to do with NFC in the beta code, which could just mean they've done a good job keeping that code out while goofing with all the other code released by accident. And finally, battery life will go from 8 hours of talk time on the 5 to 12 hours of talk time on the 5S. Again, if you take out the 4K video recording and NFC, well then there is definitely something else that's needed to make people want to go out uh, and get the iPhone 5S. So hopefully I'm right about 4K video being in and I'm wrong about NFC not being in. As both added to the other specs would make for a nice device and a much nicer upgrade from the 5 than the 5 was from the 4S. Come September, we'll see how crazy I just sounded. Let me know what you think will be in the iPhone 5S or needs to be in the iPhone 5S to make it what you want to upgrade to. Note, removable battery, physical keyboard, SD card slots will never happen. So don't bother sending in those in your wish list of items. So again, send in your wish list of items for the iPhone 5S to todayinios at gmail.com or give us a call 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Will be interesting to see what items you think are needed that I did not mention previously. Hi, Rob. Please find a link to the recent press release from the National Federation of the Blind, NFB, titled NFB of Mass and Square Inc. to collaborate on accessibility enhancements to Square Register and Square Wallet. Please do what you can to cover this and encourage product, service, and app developers to incorporate accessibility into their offerings. Regards, Micah. Hi, Micah. Thanks for the heads up on this PR, which I put a link to in the show notes per the title mentioned. It is nice to see Square working to help on the accessibility side, especially around money, which in the U.S., since all bills are the same exact size, it is as unfriendly to those that are blind as it could possibly be. Hey Rob, I knew you would appreciate this spin. My favorite part is that the iPad mini has failed to gain traction. These guys are ridiculous. Ben from productivitypad.blogspot.com. Hi Ben, and thanks for the link. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of those articles about iPad market share from Fandroid sites. What none of these Fandroid sites ever mention are revenue share in the tablet market, and never, ever, ever do they mention profit share in the tablet market, or total market share all time, just market share from the last quarter. The reason they don't mention profit share is because, well, the only one selling tablets at a profit is Apple. Yes, there are a boatload of Android tablets being shipped. Shipped. Many are sub $100 and even sub $50 in price. Android tablets are flooding retail shelves around the world. Are they actually being purchased? That's a big question mark. But we know at least in the US and Canada, they sure as heck are not being used if they are being purchased, as Apple commanded 84% of the tablet traffic last month. And that number keeps going up. But yep, folks, you will see lots and lots of articles about the 67% of tablet shipments 
our androids last quarter. It's all BS and completely meaningless. It's just about a ton of low-cost crap tablets flooding the shelves of stores globally. Even Google has said they are very disappointed with the quality of Android tablets out there, hence why they keep updating their Nexus 7. It was also uh, Google that last week said to date there were 70 million Android tablets activated all time versus the 150 plus million iPads that have been activated so or sold. So yeah, overall market share is still dominated by Apple at 68% of installed base. And when you look at usage share, at least in the US and Canada, it's at 84% and growing, not dropping. So it seems like a lot of people are activating an Android tablet, then putting it back in the box and returning it to the store. And speaking of market share numbers for a quarter, last quarter iPhone sales in the US moved up to 42.5% of the US smartphone sales. Android dropped to 51.5% and Windows Phone moved up to 4% of the US market. It is likely that either this quarter or definitely next quarter, Apple will get above 50% mark for US smartphone sales when the new iPhone or iPhones launch. Big hats off, kudos to Daniel Delger at Apple Insider on the great article he wrote, totally ripping to shreds the schlock report from strategy analytics that said Samsung was now leading Apple in mobile profits. As Daniel shows in great detail, that is not the case at all. Apple is still king of the mobile device profits. And I love at the end of the article, the outing he does from, of people from BGR, CNET, The Guardian, Forbes, and even the Wall Street Journal that re-reported the crap put out by Strategy Analytics without doing any fact-checking whatsoever. Seems everyone is in such a rush to report bad news about Apple knowing it'll drive traffic that they stopped uh, the whole fact-checking thing or just looking past obvious errors again, all in the name of getting traffic to their site. Daniel, I raise my five-hour energy drink in salute to you. And the article you wrote. Links in the show notes titled, Samsung Electronics Has Not Dethroned Apple Inc. in Mobile Profits. Check that out for episode 277 over today in iOS.com. Thanks to Santosh, John M., Mike, and a few others for the heads up on this next one. Which, well, let me quote one of the listeners. Quote, where is the integrity these days? Unquote. That from John M. And in reference to Samsung. Yes, the same Samsung that slavishly copied the iPhone and the iPad. Yes, that Samsung, who we already knew had a pretty low moral compass to start with. Well, they showed how low it is actually with the S4. See, Samsung is juicing the S4 for benchmark tests, that is. They actually have code in the S4 that looks to see if there's software slash signs that's being tested by some of the popular benchmarking software. And then it runs the unit hot, or to put it another way, when they see benchmarking software, they turn the dial to 11. Whether it be the CPU or the GPU, you can't trust the results for any benchmark tests for the S4 because they over-optimized for those tests and as such, do not give real-world comparisons. So any and all benchmark tests that the iPhone 5S runs on in September and then is compared to for the S4, yeah, take them with a big, big grain of salt. And Antec had a very nice and long and detailed breakdown on this, but simply put, 
they tried to pull an A-Rod and they just got caught. And any records or results of the S4 with regards to benchmark tests should be thrown out. Hats off again to Anantec for showing Samsung to be, well, exactly who we thought they were all along. And hats off to, of all people, IDC for slamming Google on using a bogus report to say that the Nexus 7 had outsold the iPad in Japan, when said report was clearly flawed. It did not count sales from two big carriers, KDI, and, KDDI excuse me, and SoftBank, nor the seven Apple stores in Japan, nor did it count any of the online sales from Apple.com in Japan. Yeah, so like IDC said... A very flawed report, so flawed in fact that IDC had iPad at over a 2.2 to 1 sales ratio to the Nexus 7 in Japan that Google would say when it was announcing that the Nexus 7 V2, uh, that the original Nexus 7 outsold Japan is, well, baffling, according to IDC, because this report was so bad and so flawed if you're going to cherry pick stats, uh, at least cherry pick ones that are not total BS. You know, a simple Google of the BCN survey uh, they used would have shown them that it was BS. Just saying. One more item to bang on Android about. Sorry, you guys sent in a ton of anti-Android stuff this week. And well, rightly so. But this next one is from the site OpenSignal.com. And they do app development work for iOS and Android and have apps on both. What they found, looking at their data, was that this year, to date, they have seen 11,868 different Android devices use their app. That's not 11,868 different users. No, that number is over 680,000 that they use just for this report. So this is about 11,868 different Android models slash devices like the S4 and the S3 and the Note and the, you know, you know, you know, you know. Anyway, 11,868 different Android devices to try and support as a dev has to be a bloody nightmare. That number is up from 3,997 for all of 2012. So it's not just bad, it's gotten way, way worse this year. Hey, devs for Android, you gotta love that hockey stick, yeah? They also showed all the different screen sizes they had to deal with, uh, which looked to be another bloody nightmare on the Android side. Now you know why the BBS recently said they have three times more devs that are needed to support their Android apps than are needed to support the same number of iOS apps. Alright, I don't want to sound like I just picked on Android because they sell a lot of units. I also pick on Microsoft, and well, they definitely don't, as this listener wrote in to say. Hi, Rob. I particularly love the line from Steve Ballmer recently, quote, we built a few more devices than we could sell, unquote, when talking about the Surface tablets. Regards, Tim in Wisconsin. Microsoft reported on July 30th in their 10K report, the total revenue from Surface tablets for all of their fiscal year 2013, that means for the entire time the Surface tablets have been for sale, and that number was $853 million. That is less than the $900 million write-down they announced. And given that the average surface price is, or I should say, was in the $600 to $700 range, that means they sold less than 1.5 million surface tablets since October 2012, 
when the RT went on sale and February when the Surface Pro went on sale. During that period, Apple sold in the 50 million plus unit range. So yeah, to say Microsoft sold fewer units than planned is a big understatement, Mr. Bomber. And I should add that 67% market share we mentioned earlier for Android tablets for last quarter, that came from Strategy Analytics. Yes, the same aforementioned Strategy Analytics that had their head handed to them over on their schlocky reporting on profits and mobile. Well, I mentioned them again because for the window tablets in that report, they had 2.3 million window tablets shipping last quarter. Considering Microsoft said they only shipped 1.5 million, roughly, or probably less than that, since October, it seems not very likely all window tablet shipments were 2.3 million last quarter. Seems Strategy Analytics is pulling numbers from their nether regions. Hey Rob, I got an email this morning about updates to iOS 7 beta 4, and I figured I'd have to do that whole drill again when you download the whole file, but then got pleasantly surprised with the notifications uh, for over-the-air update, and it worked without a hitch. Regards, John P. Hi, John. Yep, it was nice to see the over-the-air update for iOS 7, and the beta, that is, and not needing to do the full update. Uh, that is a nice sign the update is moving closer to Goldmaster. Hi, Rob. Thanks for all your efforts. Uh, I reported a bug with Apple and iOS 6. They seem to think that they have fixed it, but I have no way to test it for them. Could you or one of your listeners help me out? Here is a summary of my bug. Previous to iOS 6, double-clicking on the headphone button would go forward a chapter, and triple-clicking would go back while playing audiobooks and podcasts with M4A and chapter marks. Now it skips to the next file or the previous file. The same happens when using USB connected accessories to go back and forward. Steps to reproduce, play any audiobook or enhance podcast with chapters. Double click the button on the headphones. Expected results is to move to the next chapter um, that, that begins to play. The actual results is the next file begins to play. Regards, Dave B. Hey, Dave B. Thanks for this question. Rather timely, too, because I know of a good enhanced podcast to test this on, on iOS 7 Beta 4. That is the Amateur Traveler Podcast, Episode 380, which I happen to be a guest. And I talk about all things Kansas City. So check out the Amateur Traveler Podcast, Episode 380, folks. You hear me talking about Kansas City, my favorite barbecue joints, places to go, things to do with family and kids, and if you're in from town or even if you live here. So again, Amateur Traveler Podcast, Episode 380. You can hear me. It also gave me a chance to test the issue Dave was having. And Dave, I am happy to tell you, in iOS 7 Beta 4, the issue that you reported is fixed. So you can now double-click on the home button, uh, or not the home button, double-click on the button on your headphones, and it moves ahead a chapter. Triple-click, and it moves back a chapter. So it is working the way it's supposed to be. So yes, Apple did fix that. And thanks, Chris, for having me as a guest on your show. Hi Rob, I recently lost my Wi-Fi connection with my iPhone 4S. Not only did I lose the connection, but in fact, the Wi-Fi option is grayed out in settings after attempting many of the suggested fixes that are out there to no avail. And I discovered that the only fix is getting a new iPhone. I don't know if you or anyone in the listening audience has found something that works as far as getting Wi-Fi back. Regards, Mason in the U.S. Army. 
And yes, Mason did try all the normal stuff. I emailed back and forth with him. He tried rebooting, restoring. He's running iOS 6.1.3. It's not jailbroken, and nothing he's done has been able to get it back. If anyone else has had this issue with iOS 6.1.3 with Wi-Fi dying, and you were able to get a solution that did not involve a new phone, please let us know what you did to get it back working. 206-666-6364. That's 206 Moon Dog. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Thanks. Okay, let's get into some Kickstarter projects. First up is the project Red Pitcha. I know I mispronounced that. It's two words, and Pitya is spelled P-I-T-A-Y-A. And that is a board that connects to your iOS device that combined with their app turns your iOS device into an oscilloscope or a spectrum analyzer or a signal generator or a frequency response analyzer or a PID controller. Pricing on this starts now at $359 with unit shipping in December. For $379, you get one with the microSD to gig card and the Red Pita's application already flashed and ready to run, plus a power supply. That's the one you want to go for. They have hit their goal of $50,000, so if you pledge for this, you will be charged for it, and hopefully you'll get it as well. Most people might think that $359 or $379 is expensive, but an oscilloscope alone will set you back typically around 5k, at least 2k, and a spectrum analyzer will run you 15k or more. The one thing I did not see in their diagram or assembly was a good low noise 10 megahertz quartz crystal oscillator, so I'm going to guess performance is going to suffer on this. Don't expect to do any good Allen variance measurements or anything like that. That said, it does look interesting if any ease hams or DIYs get this? Let me know how it works out for you. And actually, as uh, I did just send them an, an email asking them about timing source for this. Uh, the, the one, and I'm going to have to say, I'm going to recommend right now you hold off getting it for a little bit uh, until at least they answer the email. Uh, since this project has until September 20th before it ends and the early bird specials are already gone, there's no real need to purchase it today or even next week or the week after. Again, you have until September 20th. I'll let you know what type of reply, if any, I get on the next show with regards to what they're doing for a low noise timing source. Because if they're just pulling the source off of a LAN cable, that ain't going to cut it. This next Kickstarter project is called iBlazer, spelled I-B-L-A-Z-R, of course. What it is, is a LED flash for the smartphones and tablets. It plugs into the headphone jack and will run you $39 and up, depending on the version you want. They have raised over 48 k towards their goal of 58 k and have until September 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time to get the other 9 k plus, which it looks like they should do pretty easily. But what is interesting about the Flash here is that it has its own built-in battery, which you charge via USB with a flexible charger that comes with the device. It is a four LED flash, and their picture examples look pretty interesting and pretty good. They're showing it shipping in the December timeframe. Obviously, if you are going to get the iPhone 5S, this is probably not for you. But if you have the iPhone 5 or lower, and don't want to upgrade now or can't upgrade, or if you have an iPad mini and you use for your photos or plan to get one, this might be a nice addition or, to, or a present for someone that you love or care about. 
being this is Kickstarter, I think more towards Valentine's Day than Christmas. Just saying. Again, it's called iBlazer. I-B-L-A-Z-R. And it is at kickstarter.com. Thanks to Tash for the heads up on this next one, which is about the Apple TV of all things. And that Apple has some refurbished Apple TVs marked down to $75. That's $10 lower than the old refurbished price of $85. So if you are looking at that abomination known as Chromecast because of its price, take that $35 that you were going to waste on the Chromecast and put it towards an Apple TV, which is only $40 more, which is so much, much more useful than the Chromecast. Really, go and read the reviews. It is not what you think it is. And it is definitely not an Apple TV. And yes, this is the Apple TV third gen 1080p version. So this is the current Apple TV, $75 refurbished, much better deal than wasting your money on the Chromecast. Hi Rob, for iOS 7, what I would like to see is when developing an email, pressing and holding down the period button, it would be nice if .gov and .mil would be added to the list when there is a period uh, is held to provide the additional options. Regards, Mike S. in the U.S. military. Mike, good point. When you have the U.S. keyboard, it should have .mil and .gov in there. Surprised now that I think about it that you've mentioned it, not that I think about it, but that you mentioned it now that you've brought it up, it really is surprising they don't have that in there. They had a lot more options when it was dot, uh, UK or the UK keyboard uh, when it was .uk, but there was a lot of other options in there. So there's definitely room for them to do .mil and .gov. Hopefully, Apple will update that at some point in the future. Hi, Rob. I've never received any iSpam, but FYI, just in case, here are instructions on how to report said spam messages that go to your message app to Apple. Regards, John M., Gilbert, Arizona. Thanks, John. And neither have I, but if anyone is, quote, seeing unwanted iMessages spam in the Messages app, you can report those to Apple. To report unwanted iMessage messages to Apple, please send an email with the following details to iMessage.spam at iCloud.com. So that's iMessage.spam at iCloud.com. Include a screenshot of the message you have received. Include the full email address or phone number you received the unwanted message from include the date and time that you received the message, unquote. Or, if you're in iOS 7, just block their spamish butt with the new block option. Hello, Rob. Here's a possible subject you might like to cover regards Mike. And what he's talking about is a post on iDownload blog, which asks, would you pay again for an iOS 7 version of apps you already own? Essentially, this comes down to the fact that iOS 7 is so different from iOS 6 in look and feel, Many developers will choose to rewrite their apps to make them more iOS 7-ish in fit, finish, and feel. This will be a lot of work for the devs, more so than past updates. So how do you think you feel or would feel about having to pay again to get an app that is rebuilt from the ground up with, uh, to look like iOS 7 or use features of iOS 7? My guess is it will depend on the app. If it is one I am currently using a lot, then I might pay to get a new version. Okay, I might send an email to the dev asking for a new promo code. But if I did pay for apps, I would have paid for any I would be willing to send for an email out to ask for a new version of the promo code. 
But that would be for utility and productivity apps. For game apps, no way. I'm guessing uh, this will be a topic of greater debate as we get closer to the likely September launch of iOS 7, especially as iOS 7 launches and people start finding out that apps they previously purchased that worked for iOS 3, 4, 5, and 6 as they just kept upgrading for free, all of a sudden now they have to pay to get the new version. Let me know your thoughts, 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or email your thoughts to todayinios at gmail.com. If you are a dev, also let me know what your plans are. Are you going to fork your app that's fork, F-O-R-K, your app at iOS 7 and make a new version requiring a new purchase? Or will you make a new version optimized for iOS 7, which is just a free upgrade from the version that was in iOS 6? I want to hear from both devs and users on this one. And before anyone asks, no, we don't plan to fork the TII app, so it will just continue as a free upgrade for anyone who already has it. In the past, we mentioned how some hackers at Georgia Tech figured out how to put malware on your iOS device just using a malicious charger. Well, they gave their demonstration at Black Hat this week, and uh, they showed the malicious charger to those in attendance. It involved an open source beagle board, which cost about $125. Uh, they then plugged an iPhone in, and while it was charging, when a passcode was entered on the iPhone, that triggered it to put in the malware. They showed it replacing the Facebook app with a malware version of the Facebook app that went right in the same spot as the original app. So from the user's perspective, you could not tell anything had been done to your iOS device. They say this hack works on all iOS devices up to and including those running iOS 7 betas. They have made Apple aware of this issue, so expect a security update to iOS 6 in the near future, plus some changes to iOS 7 before it is released. Expect more on this story in the near future on Today in iOS and many other blogs coming to you on the interwebs. One more email here. Hi Rob, my mother-in-law recently had a massive stroke and has lost the ability to speak. I am hoping that the listeners can help with an application that we can use to help us communicate with her. She has the use of her left hand. I look forward to any suggestions. Regards, Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. Sorry to hear about your mother-in-law. If anyone out there has some suggestions for Lawrence, please let us know. Uh, there are some accessibility features built into iOS for those with restricted mobility. I would suggest you check out um, uh, or look for the blog post titled Assistive Touch in the show notes for episode, t uh, for episode uh, 277 at todayinios.com. I am thinking you will want to go with an iPad as it has more of the gesture controls. But again, anyone that has any experience with uh, using an iOS device for someone with restricted mobility, please let us know what you suggest. 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show, 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or record your feedback and email it to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. The feedback can be a question or comment per something that someone said on this episode, or it can be a question and rant you have about something someone else said somewhere totally different. An app or product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS related, it is welcomed. I am always looking for new artwork to feature on the show that you've created on an iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. 
And of course, we are always looking for more music you've created on an iOS device to play on this show. As always, your feedback is greatly desired and appreciated. And a big thanks to today's sponsor, Warby Parker. Go to warbyparker.com to get your five pair of glasses to try on for free, shipped right to your door. Then when you find a pair you like, and you are checking out, use the promo code TII to get free three-day shipping on that pair of glasses that you purchased. These are great glasses, great pricing, and a great cause. Warbyparker.com. Again, use TII for that promo code when you're checking out on the purchased pair. And that, folks, is going to go ahead and do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today on iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for TII.